0: This is Josh Riley. You're listening to Player Profiler.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Futurecast on the Player Profiler Radio Network. Got a big show this week talking about the tight ends in the 2023 NFL draft class. We're just a few weeks away from Kansas City, baby. The credentials just came in. The draft house is booked, and the crew from Player Profiler is headed to Kansas City once again to cover the NFL draft from the house. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. But today, we got Thor Nystrom on from Fantasy Pros to talk all things tight end because I know he's got some takes on his boy, Sam Laporta. But first, I want you to go over to playerprofiler.com. After the show, not right now, after the show, the 2023 Rookie Guide with the Top 120 Fantasy Relevant Prospects will be live on playerprofile.com on the homepage. If you have Dynasty Deluxe, you can go there too, and it is free included inside of Dynasty Deluxe. Now, if you want Dynasty Deluxe, you can go get that a part of the all-in package using that promo code CODY. We'll get you 10 bucks. but let's go talk to Thor. From Fantasy Pros at Thorku T H O R K U on Twitter, Thor Nyström, my man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing great, Cody. It's always good to talk prospects with you. So I'm I'm excited to do this today. I'm jealous of you that you're going to the draft. I was thinking about going for a little bit, but I I just couldn't swing it this year with the shows and like shit like that. But I I wish I could be down there with you. Put it that way. It's a uh,
1: it's 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 going to be a good time. So. I think we talked about this during the combine because you guys have your kind of company retreat during the combine season. Yeah. I think you went to like Texas, maybe.
0: Yeah, uh, Dallas. Right? Yeah. You went to Texas,
1: yeah. right? So our company meeting, our company, you know, retreat or get together, or whatever, is the draft. We kind of formulated it and built it around the draft. So we go to wherever the draft is at. Last year was Vegas, this year, KC. And the crew comes down and we relax and uh, maybe we get some barbecue just like you guys did down there in Texas. But that's kind of how we kind of navigate through that and how we get to go to the draft.
0: Well, you know, I went to University of Kansas for undergrad. As you know, I can give you all the the heads up of the Kansas City barbecue places, you know, Jack Stacks and Arthur Bryant's and, and the whole the Oklahoma Joe's and the gas station. I'll, I'll get you all set up and have like that's, a little map for you so you can just hit them, you know
1: we need i mean i've been i'm starting to fast the next two weeks i'm gonna be ready so that i can just hammer out so all i'm gonna eat when i'm out there is meat you know we're going straight carnivore so i'm ready for it um but today we're gonna be talking about the tight end class as you know um you know but first i want to talk about the last two months the nfl draft process why you love this whole process and you know over the last two months what's it been like for you two months ago about right now maybe a couple of days ago two months from about a couple of days ago we're sitting in mobile having dinner together uh how have you been the last two months and uh what kind of what, what have you been working on
0: i've been awesome yeah i i love this time of the year but yeah it uh it maybe it plays to my my shut-in tendencies my antisocial tendencies, because i i just like dive so deep into this stuff um like that's what i'm doing all day between watching the videos, doing the research, the deep dives into different stuff, both both into into the guys' profiles, but then um, for some of my stuff in the scouting reports, I, I write the longer bios of the kids. So I like I have some of that info, but I I try to like research pretty deep their their background stuff like that. Um, so that, that's what we're doing most of the days uh, this time of the year. So uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun.
1: So this time last year, you were at NBC Sports Edge, and the Thor 500 comes out. As we enter the draft, is the Thor five hundred coming out this year? or Do we got something else in the works?
0: It is, yeah. We're we're going to be unveiling that at Fantasy Pros in a couple weeks now. Um, so it's like, yeah, because we're only we're less than three weeks from the draft, so about two and a half weeks or two weeks, um, that thing's coming out. I have to check the exact schedule, but yes, the Thor five hundred will be out on on Fantasy Pros. One of my favorite things to do with the five hundred player comps, just going through, you know, even deeper. Some of the the comps at the top, you know, they they jump out. They're so mm. obvious everybody starts to have them for a specific player but once you get like to the 475th player on your board trying to yeah. figure out those cons but that to me that's one of the most uh, uh fulfilling parts of the process is like finding the perfect comp for like a guy way down the board just matching up like uh, uh lindsey scott to vernon adams you know or like getting really deep like that and, and then mm-hmm. finding the perfect one yeah
1: so quick, quick question regarding the comps, because I have a couple different ways I look at mine. What's kind of your go-to strategy? Do you have like a list of uh, players that line up athletically on one side? Do you just kind of go off memory? Because part of like what I do, I'll sometimes I'll pull up our data analysis tool and have height, weight, and then some common metrics that I, I look at for that position. But sometimes it's just like, top of mind whatever comes to top of mind like roshan roshan was a tough one for me and i remember sitting down there at the senior bowl just watching him and i was like who the hell is his comp and i was thinking and thinking and thinking and i came in with sean alexander because of the body type and the play style but like i that's generally not one that i would have come up with probably sitting here looking at a, a board or anything so what's kind of like your quick steps if i was to say all right go find a comp for this guy what, what, what kind of would you your quick steps for that
0: It's basically my same process of evaluating the players where you sort of like from all different angles. So there's not the the one specific thing I I do watch and sometimes one pops into my head, you know, as far as like this guy plays like this guy or has the upside that this guy could have in his career. Um, Other times, like you said, like it's harder for me. And then, you know, it's it's later in the process with the testing once those composites start coming out and then trying to piece it together from there for some of them. And then some of them uh, there'll be, you know, one of the one of our uh, contemporaries in the industry will put one out that just blows mine out of the water. And I'm like, he got it. Mm -hmm. Right. And and then at that point, I don't have any fealty to my worst comp. I'll just swap them out. So like, yeah, that's sort of my process. I
1: like that. I like that. All right. Well, let's get to the meat and potatoes. Let's talk about this deep, diverse tight end class right after this ad from our friends at Rival.
2: Hey, it's the Podfather. Now, in the offseason, I get into baseball, I get into basketball, and my preferred platform to play fantasy sports is Rival Fantasy, because Rival Fantasy has challenges where you can just take a guy and say, hey, this guy's going to score more fantasy points than this guy. They put two shortstops together pick one. Point guards, pick one. Spoiler alert, you should pick Damian Lillard. Or they have the fantasy book where you can pick over, under, over, under, over, under, and up to five guys and then the more you pick, your potential payout quickly escalates. And finally, I submit a bingo card because you can just go over, under, over, under, over, under, across the board, get your fantasy bingo card set, submit it. I'm not the biggest basketball or baseball expert, but I have a hell of a lot of fun playing fantasy sports on rival and the best part is with promo code player they refund up to 50 dollars of any losses so the promo code there is player on rival go have some fun
1: thor my man the first question i got for you Who will be the first tight end drafted in the NFL draft? If you look at ADP right now, uh, our mock draft index at playerprofighter.com under the NFL draft section, Michael Mayer is currently in the lead with a 25.6 ADP. Kincaid is directly behind him, 26.3. Darnell Washington, 35. Musgrave, 47, and so on and so forth. But that's maybe not where the betting market is right now. I saw you were on a show (laughs) just the other day talking about Dalton Kincaid. Where – are we going with the first tight end in the NFL draft this year?
0: I think it's going to be Dalton Kincaid. And, and what's funny, you're you're bringing this up. This was only, I think it was two nights ago. Um, I was on the VSIN show with Tim Murray and, and Sean King. And they asked me live what I thought about the odds of, of the tight end one market. And it stunned me when, when Tim said the odds because it, Dalton Kincaid was plus 140 at the time and mm-hmm. like I, I i didn't know that cuz you know i think those had just dropped and so i was like everyone if you have an account there go out and bet it immediately like that number is wrong and by the next day, like early afternoon, it had gone from um, Kincaid had gone from plus one forty to minus one ten, or even yep. minus one fifteen, like something like that. So it was, it was kind of crazy. And and this is, I mean, this is more a lesson to people out there that sports bet. You want to get in early on, on that kind of stuff because then the odds will, will change so quickly. But for me, it is Dalton Kincaid. I do believe Dalton Kincaid will be the first tight end. Is it a lock? No. Um, but, you know, like I was saying on that show, I think it's more like a 60% implied probability than certainly the underdog outcome or even a coin flip. I I, I think y- you would give Dalton Kincaid the advantage. And the reason why, it's, it's the improved receiving utility. Uh, he can go downfield and win in a way that Michael Mayer just categorically can't. He creates separation like Michael Mayer can. Uh, he's more smooth in that area than Michael Mayer is. Michael Mayer, you get the dual threat utility. He can line up in line. You're not going to be lining up. Uh, Dalton Kincaid on the inline unless you want to see him get ragdolled but just as far as a receiver Dalton Kincaid is just so damn smooth so I had to put him there because of of his increased value over Mayer in that area and and the way more things that you can do with him
1: so two questions off of that Caesar Sportsbook right now has Kincaid at minus 110 Mayer at plus 130 and then it's a drop down to uh, Darnell at plus 400 I think it is between those two guys Kincaid and Meyer. I would agree with you uh Kincaid I've had question marks for the last couple of weeks one of the tough things is obviously the injury, right? The medicals, we can't see medicals on our side, but Daniel Jeremiah comes out. I think it was two days ago on the move. The six pod says all the medicals came back positive for Kincaid. So that gives me a sense of, you know, relaxation. I understand. Okay, cool. I'm happy now. I can, I can trust the process. Cause I was scared. I mean, he's a little older prospect and you're coming with the back injury and it's like, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. Right. Right. But when you look at the NFL draft, you talk about him being the first off the board. Do you, do you think there's a, a place for him, like a, a ceiling for him? Like I've seen 13 to the Jets. Some people have talked about that location being like a run up and give them the card type of situation. I don't really agree with that. But do you see like a prime spot or maybe a, an area that's that's like the maximum, like maximum upside or anything like that that you love the most?
0: Well, the Packers, I think, are a really good fit. Packers are a team that, that could badly use him. The Packers are a team that could badly use multiple starting <laughs> pass catchers in this draft. Uh, they should probably get the the one stud t- move tight end guy and then also get a receiver to play opposite Christian Watson. They just need more more weapons there, presumably for for Jordan Love next year. But either way, the, I mean, like after um, who was it, um, uh, Tanya, you know, he, he left mm-hmm. there particularly thin in the tight end room. So like Green Bay sits at 15. I would be surprised, I guess. And, and this goes to the point that you just said. I would be surprised that Dalton Kincaid goes above 15, um, especially because it's not just about Dalton Kincaid. It's also this tight end class is is at least stacked through round two probably into round three as well, you know, like at the top, it's, it's just so good. But, you know, again, down into that, that day two area where, uh, you know, some of these scenes picking in the top uh, 14 or whatever, would they, would they sort of lead that dance by far on one of those two kids? They have such a conviction where they know in the second round, you know, probably Darna Washington. I, I, I think Darna Washington's going to go in round two, but then also you'd have, you know, at that time, Luke Musgrave, who some people really like, Laporte is still on the board who we'll talk about in a bit, and then Tyler Croft. Like, with all those different guys floating out there, I just don't see any impetus to lead the dance. I do think Green Bay is the first logical destination. But after that, they start coming up fast and furious. Washington needs a tight end. Uh, we'll see if they end up going with one in round one. If they don't in round two, I, I think that's a distinct possibility. Detroit, of course, who had traded Hawkinson. Now they're, they're tight end room, and they like to use multiple tight ends. It's it's uh, the, the, the undrafted kid from, from Notre Dame, uh, and then one of the only Notre Dame tight ends who has not gotten drafted, you know, the past like decade plus. Um, and then they just don't have much behind him or whatever. So I, I think that would be a good one. And like, you know, like I said, just going down the line, multiple of those teams in the 20s need them. And I think the the that uh, you talked about the floor, or I'm sorry, the ceiling for, for the, the first tight end off the board. I think the the floor for the tight end two to come off the board is 28. So I think that window for both them to go off the board it's going to be in that 15 to 28 pick and, and we'll see where the, both of them end up going, but they're both going to go on that range.
1: You're confident.
0: We got two tight ends going round one. I am. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get three. Um, th- that's where I differ with some people, you know, initially, like people were tossing out, you know, could we have three, Could we even have four tight ends in the first yeah, round? I no, do I believe, think. I do believe that it's going to be two. I think some people got a little bit over their skis with Darnell Washington a little bit. I like Darnell. Uh, I, I, I mean, he's a fabulous athlete in in that just enormous, distended frame, and he's a third offensive tackle. When you know you play him in line, that's what he's going to do. It's mostly what he did at Georgia, whatever. But as a receiver, he ain't nearly as good as people seem to think. Uh, he never won downfield at Georgia. He only had two catches, twenty plus yards downfield his entire collegiate career. But it's not just that. Like he's supposed, you know, like in, in the way he's depicted, it's like, oh, he's this, you know, this intermediate guy, and he's, he's very reliable. And then once he gets the the you know the the ball, then he's impossible to tackle. He's this, you know, human colossus. Well, actually, really not. Uh, Darnell Washington in his career forced less missed tackles over his entire career than both Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta had last season alone. So so you don't get that yak utility that people think. Mostly because he's like a straightforward uh, runner. You know, he's sort of like the, the Suez canal tugboat where he he just struggles to get off his spot and move a little bit. And so he's this big target to hit. He goes down easy. But then the other thing is his like, his hands aren't reliable either even in the intermediate range goes into last year. His career drop rate was like 12 or 13% or something. He did cut that down into the sixes last year, but that career drop rates still right around 10. So like, it's like if this guy can't win downfield and he can't create after the catch, and his hands aren't reliable, as the receiver, that's where you start to be like, uh, eh, I, I, I'm not sure about that. Certainly not a fantasy guy. I love the utility as the third offensive tackle, especially in this era where you can get the boxes thinned out a little bit, and now you have the six guys in the line with Washington helping to pave the way for the running back. But as far as the rest of it, that's why I rated Darnell Washington tight end 4 a little bit lower.
1: I like that. I I actually you know I love everything you said, and I actually have Darnell Washington lower. So I went and oh. I saw him. I saw wow. him live uh, at Georgia at the pro day, and. I don't know if he was banged up or what, but he just did not. I mean, based on what I saw at the combine, he looked fine, but then it, seeing him in the pro day was a little bit different. Um, obviously, the size is ridiculous. I thought the tugboat comparison you just brought up was fantastic because what a tugboat doesn't do is the tugboat doesn't start quick, and he don't start yeah. quick out of his brakes. I don't think out of off the ball, I don't think he's a, a fast accelerator getting down the field, which I think at the tight end position, if you can be quick in those small areas, that's why we like the agility score so much. I, I kind of compared it to uh, I said the sizes were donkulous when he's healthy. Uh, in the game, he looks like he's Shaquille O'Neal on the field because he's just that big, different piece. That's It's just a different chess piece that you got on the field out there. The ball skills are there. But another thing I did notice is that even on the film, you could see it with where Stetson Bennett would, would put a ball when he's thrown to Darnell Washington. The pro day was perfect because pro days are built around uh, succeeding, right? And you could tell that him and Darnell worked together because every ball that Stetson threw to Darnell, it was not in the chest. It wasn't at the numbers. It was like make – Darnell reached to 10 feet where he knows he can catch the ball, do all these different things that are going to make him look great, which is cool. Um, but then when you're talking to executives in the NFL and you say, damn, Darnell looks, he looked pretty good, the combine. And they go, yeah, but he's not a game changer. Yeah, but you're not scared of him in the red zone. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? You're not scared of him in the red zone. And, and that kind of puts doubt in your mind. So, i like him i like the ball skills i don't love it i like the size i don't love it just because of the athleticism that comes with it and i just question uh whether he can stay healthy and you say well stay healthy it's like normally you think about the small guy staying healthy but i think a big guy like him i think he's carrying so much weight and i just think he's so big I, i i do question that and i am worried uh we'll talk about him in a little bit when we get down outside the top five for me um but my next question after this is, who will be the first tight end drafted in fantasy? Uh, current ADP, so we talked about the NFL draft with Kincaid. The fantasy side of everything, Mayer was 17 two weeks ago. Down. he's now down at 19. This is super flex, non-tight end premium. Kincaid was at 27 two weeks ago. Now he's at oh. 23 which is right on the cusp of the two, three turn Musgrave 26 to 30. So he's in the round three, Washington 32 and then Kraft and Laporta are at 48 and 49. Would you be drafting Michael Mayer at 19th overall? And would you be drafting him ahead of Kincaid in fantasy drafts?
0: Uh, no, and no. The, the, to the, you know, the first one about just in the NFL draft, who's going to go earlier. That one's a debate to me. This one's not, Again, the, the reason that Dalton Kincaid has a real shot to go above Michael Mayer, it's the receiving utility. He is going to be a better receiver in the NFL than Michael Mayer. There is absolutely no doubt about it. So, like, you know, as far as, like, the fantasy drafts, he has to be the first one. I'm, I'm surprised that there's still that discrepancy. And a couple of weeks ago, you were mentioned that was a wide one. That, that That's kind of wonky. But, yeah, you definitely put a, um, a Kincaid above him, uh, it, you know, it, as far as the first pick, for sure.
1: I like that. And... I think that it's it's it's. I think a lot of people are going to be scared off of it. A the injury, B the age. His size isn't optimal. Right, he's not two hundred fifty five, two hundred sixty five pounds of these the guys the last couple of years. And even though people have started to come off of Mayer, I think Mayor's still staying up there is the kind of the consensus one for maybe the people that aren't as uh, dove in deep. Now the next guy in line there, <clears throat> we'll talk about our top six right here. But the next guy in line there is Musgrave. We haven't talked about him very mm. much. He hasn't done a ton when it comes to on the field. Now he's got the athleticism there. He's got the pedigree. He's got Bill Musgrave in the NFL. He's 6'6". He's 253. He runs the 461. We got him best comparable to Dawson Knox on playerprofiler.com. And he's the 15th most athletic tight end all time out of 459 in the Player Profiler database. You can check out the athleticism score right below his player page. Last year he had 11 receptions. 2022 he had 22. 2020 he had 12. Twenty nineteen, he had two. Yeah, is this a complete projection or what?
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a complete dice roll. I mean, like, and the you know, there's people out there that that love Luke Musgrave, but they're it's all a leap of faith. And when when you come back down to earth, you don't know if if you're going to be running into like a, an all pro type receiving talent or if you're going to fall into the hole like in that movie Three Hundred where they kick people in. Like you, you don't know what's going to happen on the other side of that. Cause we haven't seen it. Like, like you said, I think um, the numbers in front of me, I think what do you start 13 games in college and he had like 42, 43 catches try, trying to find it right now. But yeah, I mean, so limited. You, you went through the production profile and then last year, that was the year where we all thought he was going to break out the first two games. He did uh, Oregon state sprung a couple different upsets. First game. I forget who they were playing. Uh, was it Boise? And then the second one was Fresno state. And then you know, the, and Musgrave was playing very well in both those games or whatever. He it was he had a six eighty one one line against Boise State, and then five catches for eighty yards against Fresno State. But at the end of the Fresno State game, like in the final minutes, he hurts his knee, and then he's out for the rest of the season. So it's hard. You you have to hang your hat of the entire evaluation over just these thirteen collegiate starts, the the, the suppressed snaps, and then or, only forty seven catches. What you like about him is what you've seen downfield in in the opportunities that he got. He was seven to thirteen uh, on his targets, twenty plus yards downfield, and we saw this in in Mobile when like that's the best the thing he's best at because he can get down the field really really quickly, and he does have good ball skills. and And the thing that that separates him, I think, from from some other receiving tight ends, at least as far as this very specific thing, is the body control downfield. That's what I like about him. Like we saw a couple of times like near the sidelines in Mobile where he was like dragging, you know, dragging his his toes or in the end zone using the body, the, the frame to pin the guy behind him and then making catches near the sideline. He has that diverse background of like the lacrosse, and the skiing, you play basketball. I think he played baseball. You know, like he, he played all these, you know, uh sport track and field as well. Mm-hmm. And and some of that stuff pokes its head out there. My issue with Musk, it's everything else, yeah. literally everything else. He doesn't move uh directions very well. He he yes, he is north-south explosive for sure. He's he's very fast up the seam, like I said. He proved the concept of all that stuff, but in terms of agility, it's not really there. Um, and, and you sort of saw this in his testing profile. That was that was his worst test. You know, testing was was the agility stuff. And in the routes, it's the same thing. It, it's not just that he doesn't snap, you know, that he doesn't cut the clean corners when coming out of the route breaks and stuff. He also doesn't introduce any doubt into, the, in, into his defender's head when he's running the routes. He's more of like the one note type of guy. And and maybe, you know, if you're trying to give like in his defense, it's like, oh, he hasn't been out there as much as some of these other guys. So maybe he'll learn so, some of that sort of nuance type stuff along his routes when he's in the NFL. But, again, that's another leap of faith. And then the last thing, you know, so, I mean, mostly the receiving utility, at least at this point that has been proven, it's, it's downfield. And then the other thing is when he gets the ball in his hands, he's the worst after the catch tight end in, in this class. He only had two broken tackles his entire career. His entire career. Sam Laporta had 20 last season, right? So, like, I, I, he uh, Musgrave also like this just big, like, angular – uh, sort of galloping target for defensive backs where he doesn't ever move off that spot when he has the ball, he's just going in the straight line and it sets up some big time collisions where he can't evade the guy and he also doesn't have the muscle to outrun him. So, again, most of that receiving utility downfield, the intermediate stuff, I question a little bit because is he going to be able to create that separation in the intermediate area and then stuff like that? I, I don't know about that and hasn't been great in, in, in some of those contested ca- catch situations you know, in, in, in the intermediate area, whatever. And then he's not a good blocker as well. So you put all that stuff with the, with the injuries and you haven't seen him much, whatever. I ranked him tight end six, but me ranking him tight end six, that's on the upside, right? Like, cause you're, you have to believe in some stuff that you haven't seen yet. So I just can't get on board with the, that like having them. Like, I think, um, and and I love Earline's work. This isn't you know like it's it's just we we see it a little bit differently. But he he's an example of a guy that has Musgrave first, and then there's other guys that'll have Musgrave second or third. I just can't get that high again because of some of this stuff. But I can see that the ceiling is there and the downfield utilities there, and that has an enormous value in the NFL. And he he could get there. We'll have to see.
1: That's one of the big things, and and I think that you know one of my I don't know if you'd call it detriments or or best things cool. that I I do, I guess that is. My thing in prospecting is uh, projecting, right? I like to project these guys, especially when they have a little bit of athleticism. I think Musgrave does. Now, at this point, I'm like splitting hairs between Musgrave and Kincaid because of the age with Kincaid, the injury with Kincaid, um, and I want to see that draft capital. I don't know if I fully trust that I we're going to see multiple guys taken in round one. I think that we probably will, but just based on last year there was none, a year ago it was Pitts, and then there was none the year before that. I don't know. But when it comes to the tight end position, you're looking at Musgrave. Um, I think that was literally the notes I had. Lacks ability to create yak at all and break tackles. His lower half is really tight, lacking ability to burst after catch, which is massive. And um, I thought he was a good hands catcher, good in contested areas, downfield and across the middle. But one thing that I, I guess that kept me reeled in was my comp of Kyle Rudolph. And we're both Viking fans, both grew up in Minnesota. Um, I think Musgrave is going to be a problem in the NFL from that aspect where I think he has the capability to reel in eight-plus touchdowns. And you look at eight-plus touchdowns, you look at Kyle Rudolph, what he did, had multiple top 15 fantasy seasons at tight end. And if he can stay healthy, which I know was a problem for him at Oregon State, if he can stay healthy and he can have a couple of seasons like that, you end up in Green Bay. Maybe he's the one that – you know what I'm saying? And I think that there's a world where he can hit – and I think that that's just a, a bet that me as a projector I would rather have, and it's again split hairs. I have seven point three three for Musgrave and a seven point three two for Kincaid. Um, so I think it's I mean I for me it's right. It's a year apart in age, and it's body composition really of the big things um, between those two guys. But it sounds like to me you said you have Musgrave at six. Check out Thor's rankings uh, at Fantasy Pros. I got the link below in the description so you can go check that out and follow along as we talk about these guys. Um, what do you think about the – I see your comp from Musgrave. What do you think about the Rudolph one?
0: I it, like Rudolph to me could do just a little bit more things and, and coming out, there was less questions about him, but I could see some of that stuff. And as far as the receiving utility, again, it's like, it's fuzzy on the other end with Musgrave. So it's hard to know what, what he ends up turning into just because we haven't seen him on the field as much, but I comp him to Cole Komet. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, and and Cody, you were, you know, you asked me about the comp process before. Some of the times you have to sort of, you're doing it like, you know, you have like an upside, you know, a Bonanza comp, and then the middle of the roll comp and then sort of like the, the bus comp as well. With with Komet, I tried to like go as close as I could to what I thought that the career progression could be with him, like more, more middle of the road. But of course, if he hits the, the upside, yeah, it's it's going to look more like Rudolph and maybe even a Rudolph that could stretch the field a little bit more. Yeah. Rudolph, I think, could block a little bit better than him and stuff like that. But um, the, the difference for me between like Dalton Kincaid's receiving utility and Musgrave Another thing that we didn't talk about was was like the the ball scales and, and the drop rate. Dalton Kincaid last year was number three PFF in terms of hands grade for tight ends, was number one in receiving grade. I think his drop rate was like – 2.5 or 2.6 percent, something like that. Uh, another red flag area for me with Musgrave is so last year, and, and you hear this argument from like the the people that really love him is like, you know, last year would have been the breakout year. So you can't hold it against him that he got injured because he would have gone ballistic the rest of the season. We saw him in the first two games go ballistic. He goes 11 of 15 on targets in the first two games, Musgrave did, and he had an 8.3 percent drop rate. I understand that argument, but like, I guess my issue with it is. You, if you're going to make it, you have to acknowledge that that what happened in those first two games was totally out of line with Musgrave's career. Before that, he entered that season with a drop, a career drop rate near 20%, which is over double the red flag area. Even mm-hmm. with putting in the 11 to 15, that left his career. So he had an, the 8.3 drop rate uh, earlier this season, but he leaves college with a 16.1 drop rate that's the enormous difference I see between those two guys also Kincaid a bit better and he's better in the intermediate range cause he can yeah. shake the people there, whatever. But um, yeah, you know, again, like, you know, the, you, you can sort of um, you know, you can go either way with Musgrave just cause we haven't seen it. So you sort of have to pick, you know, which way you're going to go with that. But some of those ancillary things in the profile are the reasons that I just get a little bit more concerned.
1: So one guy out of our top six, and you can go check out Thor's top six uh, in the description below. You can check out my top six uh, in the rookie guy that's going to come out in an hour. The only guy that I have in my top six and you don't is Zach Koontz. Koontz, Koontz, whatever you want to call him. And you have Darnell Washington. So between these two guys, and we're talking about projecting with Musgrave, we're talking about athleticism with Kincaid and Musgrave and Washington – Talk to me about Darnell Washington, Zach Koontz, why you have Washington ahead of the, like just two massive humans with athleticism. Can you talk about Koontz a little bit?
0: Yeah. I, so you have him in your top six. I got him at six. Oh, dude, I love that. Okay, so I have I have Coons seven. Uh, Cody and I are higher on Coons than seems like everybody else is. Even the you know the the Coons tested with the perfect ten RAS score. The I.E. the most athletic size adjusted tight end to ever en- enter the NFL mm-hmm. by the RAS system by the testing. Um, but like that started to open up some people's eyes where they went back to the tape. I love Zach Koontz's game. I like it. It didn't take for for that the combine to to make me go back. That kid can play. Uh, he, he has the weird circumstance where earlier in his career, it, it's just the way that it worked out. He signed with Penn State because Penn State was sort of tight end, you, whatever, and and Coons, the guy I comp him to, is Mike Gesicki, a guy who, who was at Penn State right before that when coons when signed. But he ends up getting stuck behind Pat Friermuth coming out. So for his first couple years, whatever he stuck behind him, then it was the COVID year. He ends up transferring to old Dominion, whose new offensive or whose new head coach was the old offensive coordinator at Penn state who had helped to bring him in in Ricky Ron. And then once ODU got back on the field, 2021 Zach, they couldn't cover him in the G five. Like he was unfair. It, the entire offense like he, he was the one who was you know if if not creating the first down then creating the separation for the other players because he so spooked the opposing defenses and he was going to go nuts again this year it's, it's another case we have multiple t- tight ends in this in this class who got injured in the first month of the season where it wrecked either the rest of their season or most of it uh croft is 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 another one but in koontz's case i think it's all circumstantial why he's lower on other people's boards it's merely just because he got hurt uh in early October last year didn't play the rest of the season. ODU was really frisky at the beginning of last season when Coons was on the field. Once Coons got hurt, they went into the tank immediately. And I distinctly remember this because they became a fade team for me betting college football right around then. Because you could, it, it just everything, all the wheels fell off once Zach Coons is no longer on the field. Love the athletic profile. Obviously tested like a banshee, like like we're saying. He had a, um, you know, it wasn't just the, the perfect 10. Like he was 95th percentile, like in almost every single one. And I like the way that he he catches the ball downfield. He's one of those guys that attacks it. Some of these receivers or tight ends in in this class, they let the ball get too far into them. They don't attack the ball. Zach Koontz is a guy that fully extends with that enormous catch radius and that enormous frame and and goes after the ball, particularly in the red zone and, and when he's downfield, can win in contested situations, doesn't get jarred by the contact. You know, guys going through his back trying to rake at that ball. Um, and again when he's been on the field these past couple of years he's been great he can also play a little bit of special teams for you different stuff like that I'm a big fan of his game I, I had to rate him just beneath Musgrave uh, mm-hmm. like but it, in my over you know because I had Musgrave six Zach Kuhn seven in the tight ends but in the overall thing they're going to be very close and and for me when you just stack up those two guys in profiles they're way more similar than people give them credit for so that's that's sort of how I have it. But, like, as far as, like, him against Darnell Washington, I would take Zach Coons before Darnell Washington in a dynasty fantasy football league for sure. I mean, you probably won't have to because you can you can maneuver up and down the board and wait until someone else takes Darnell Washington and a couple of these other guys. But Zach Coons, like, he would be your sleeper not only in, in the NFL draft but also in those fantasy drafts as well. And now is probably the time to get him. you probably get him super-duper cheap because there was people that thought he was going to be undrafted. A couple of months ago, which is crazy if you knew the kid's athletic profile, like he was winning state hurdle championships in high school as this ridiculously enormous guy. Like he, he's like, you know, this this like rhino who's like, you know, doing the high hurdles and, and winning the state championships, whatever, just a freak of an athlete. And he has real ball skills, too.
1: That was a video I saw from I think it was Adam Brenneman who's now got like a podcast. He was a tight end at Penn State and he talked about Kuntz being from I think his hometown of like Camp Hill and somewhere, I think yeah. maybe in Pennsylvania, and how they were both, you know, at Penn State and things just didn't work out for Kuntz, but he moved on. And obviously I think the athleticism is there. Now I looked through the rest of your top ten, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, that is where we do we do differ. And I think that the the depth of this class, you're gonna see that more often than not. You have Shoemaker. Brenton Strange, Davis Allen in that range. I have Strange just outside of the top 10, but I don't have Shoemaker or Allen in my top 10. Hmm. Uh, what part of their game uh, really elevates you? I know Shoemaker has a high athleticism score, um, and, and I like his comp of Dalton Schultz. I uh, hadn't thought of that one before. Um, is there anything in, in these two guys, Shoemaker or Davis Allen specifically, because uh, that that kind of elevated them into this top 10 for you?
0: yeah for for me we got the Seymour Schoonmaker last year because Eric Hall gets injured now Eric Hall is transferred to Iowa or whatever but like you know allowed him into it you know sort of step into the bigger spotlight because we thought Eric Hall was going to get most of the targets whatever and he acquitted himself well at that he's also a really good blocker plays on the inline and then maybe some people weren't surprised by the testing i I was he opened my eyes mm-hmm. like I, I have to say uh, 9.86 in in the Raz, and he goes through. The full gamut of testing outside of the bench, he has that 91st percentile 40. Both of the agility scores were 84th and above. The, the three cone was 98th percentile for Schoonmaker. And then the, the, the jumps were pretty good, too. The broad jump was 98th percentile. Vertical was 68th. But proving that concept of the athleticism in conjunction with having sort of the starter kit of the – the dual threat tight end inline kind of guy, which is a little bit more rare. That's why I had to put him there. He's a a little bit raw in some of the the finer points, particularly with the receiving. That's why I couldn't put him above, you know, for instance, Zach Coons or Musgrave. But like after those guys, those seven are the ones that I really like in this class. And then after that, then I have to start making some more, uh, I don't know if you want to say leaps of faith or whatever, but Schoonmaker proved the concept this this past fall with, with the increased time and then with the athleticism. So I had to put him there.
1: Is Elijah Higgins this year's Chigaconquo? Uh,
0: if he is, I'm going to be wrong about him because I'm I'm out on Higgins. Uh, <laughs> I, I I had to get out when like at Stanford he would frustrate me um, in a <laughs> in a very different way than Michael Wilson. Wilson would frustrate you because it's like just stay on the field. You're really good. Just please stay healthy. Um, but with Higgins, I he's a weird guy where he he might just be a quadruple A tweener to use a a baseball term where he's stuck between being the receiver and being the tight end. And it's funny, uh, Derek, you know, Derek Brown, very well my colleague, uh, you know, we were at the dinner that you were mentioning in in mobile leading up to mobile Derek had watched Higgins and I had rewatched Higgins. And then we we started to talk about him or whatever. And we both agreed heading into mobile Higgins should just be doing this draft process, trying to prove that he's a tight end because he ain't going to play receiver in the NFL. And then Higgins shows up to Mobile and the first two days of practice, he wants to be a receiver because, and he had even said in the lead up to that, like, I can be this matchup nightmare on the outside. And, you know, with, with his huge size and everything like that, he couldn't separate from anyone. Uh, Like, I mean, every single defensive back was stuck to him. It it was pretty uh, striking because you'd see some of these other guys just shaking the defensive backs out of their shoes. Elijah Higgins was crowded at every catch point. He wasn't fooling anyone. He wasn't running away from anyone. And so, like, after the first two days, to me, he proved that he can't be an NFL receiver categorically. The third day, it was interesting. On Thursday, he shows up, and now he's with the tight end group. So, this is the path for him. You know, it's another one of these things where I just haven't seen it yet. So you have to you have to make more of the leap. But I do think it's smart that the the process changed after those first two days because mm-hmm. it's like that, you know, what's the Mike Tyson quote? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Elijah Higgins got punched in the mouth those first two days at the senior ball, and now he's on the path of what his destiny is to try to become that H backy tight end uh, move piece kind of a fella. Um, He definitely has the athletic profile for it. Will it work out in reality? We'll we'll have to see. But I'm a little bit lower on him for those those reasons.
1: I like that. And, yeah, I mean, I have him at tight end 15. So it's not like I have him high. I just think that he is a tweener guy like that. And it's funny you brought that up about the senior bowl uh, because I did. Going in, I hadn't studied a lot of Michael Wilson. I only seen Elijah Higgins. I was like, God, this is supposed to be the best dude from Stanford. What the what the fuck am I yeah. looking at? And uh, I had like a Devin Funches, uh, yes. Chigaconko type of situation going on there. But it was funny because you brought a receiver because again, that's what he was listed at going to the Senior Bowl. But then at the combine, I said, Who do you best can play your game? Compare your game to, and he says Evan Ingram because I'm trying to play tight end. So yeah. he literally just like pivoted in the middle of the draft process to now I'm going to play tight end so in I'm the middle. Go- of
0: the, literally in the middle of the Senior Bowl, like pivoted. <laughs> <laughs> like he had to change his whole story about what he was, which doesn't yeah. mean that he he Crazy. can't succeed as that. But like, yeah, he this is what he should have been selling himself as right from the jump of the pre-draft process. But I, I am happy he got there after the second day.
1: All right. So I got two more questions for you. We've been going on for a little bit of a minute. I know you got to get out of here in a minute. So for everyone watching, I appreciate you. Click like, click that subscribe button, stay tapped in, stay tuned in every Friday for the future cast. And every single day, there's four, five, six shows going live on Player Profilers YouTube channel. Thor, if you're building an NFL team, in short, when are you drafting a tight end in the NFL draft, and who from this class are you targeting?
0: So for, like, if I needed that tight end uh, in the – it sort of – it becomes a three-dimensional chess thing, but because of the depth going into round two, I would wait – even though I, I really like Kincaid, and I like Mayer too, Um, you know, my tight end too or whatever, but, like, I would wait on the first one till probably the, the middle of the first round or maybe even, like, the early 20s um, you know, the Chargers are another team that, that's sort of sitting in that range that that could look this way. I would wait towards that because if I missed out, let's say I miss out on Dalton. I like Dalton Kincaid, but I miss out on Dalton Kincaid. I know coming back in the second round, there's going to be a tight end available to me in my slot that I really like as well. Maybe just a little bit less, but the player at the other position that you get in comparison to round two, probably going to be a bigger discrepancy there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, round two, yeah, you know, we, we talked about those guys before, but that uh, that's somewhere where it, like in there, in that middle of the first round, but like, you know, 15 to, to 22 range, that's where I target it.
1: You so you would you would take you wouldn't take like a a value guy and go deeper, you would stick at the top and you would say you need to target the top end guys in this specifically in this class.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially because like all the good offense that we see in the NFL now, they're going more to the 12 personnel. We even see the the 13 stuff out of some of these really good offenses stuff like that. If I had the offense where I needed that second tight end because that's really where we're gone. where yeah. all these teams are using the two tight ends regularly. Yeah, that, that that's where I would do it. But I wouldn't reach above that, even though, like, like I said, I, I really like Dalton Kincaid's game. I really like uh, Michael Mayer's game. I wouldn't reach above that just because circumstantially, you know, into that round two, you're going to get an immediate starter. For me in this class, there's five immediate starters in, in the class. And then that doesn't even count the, the shooting for the moon guys like – Musgrave and Coons, et cetera, and I think Schoonmaker could play right away. I, th- I think Brenton Strange could play right away as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, going down on some of those guys, but yeah, I- I'd wait till that range just because of that that depth.
1: All right. So over the last few years, after we're looking outside to the top ten now, after the last few years, we've seen guys in round one flail like Eric Ebron, Evan Ingram took a while to hit, OJ Howard, Hayden Hurst didn't quite hit at the same level. Mark Andrews is actually better in that class. Now you're looking outside the top 10 here for fantasy purposes for somebody that you're maybe going to throw in that taxi squad. Give me two guys that you're excited to track over the next one or two years that you think have a chance of breaking out that maybe some fantasy gamers should be not drafting in their draft, but maybe adding right after the draft for free and just throwing them on the back of the taxi squad.
0: The the two for me would be um, Josh Weil, just because he has the combination of the size and the athleticism Um, And we've also seen the flashes of his receiving utility at Cincinnati. The only thing that concerns me about him is he was never a feature part of the passing offense, like ever. Um, Like, he Mm -hmm. was always sort of the tertiary uh, option, whatever. And it's like, man, Luke Fickle had a really good staff there. If Josh Weil is like this difference-making type receiver – why wasn't he getting more usage? I, I think it was in it's either twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. I think it was twenty twenty with the condensed season. Josh Weil, like on a per snap basis, was absolutely fabulous. But even that season, they weren't uh, pumping the targets into him with, that maybe suggested that he could. So was did did Cincinnati underutilize him a bit, or is like is it did they know something that that we don't? But he does have that athletic profile. Some of these other guys don't. Eighty nine percentile size adjusted athlete. The other one I'd say is. Uh, Payne Durham from Purdue, mm, who's sort of the mm. opposite thing. I, I actually, I came into this this process higher on on Payne Durham just because I know what that kid can do. You stick him in the slot and he, and he's super smooth with that. He, he can handle usage, stuff like that. But the problem with him is he's a little bit athletically, or not a little bit, he is athletically limited, 46 percentile athlete, and I'm not playing him on the inline. So while I like his rec- receiving utility, when you're talking about the big slot, that's not uh explosive and and whatnot that's that's where it starts to become the lower hit rate for the odds in the nfl but we've seen some of these guys who didn't test as well that were like the big slot thing who who have who have succeeded in the nfl or that the nfl has ended up drafting above where we thought you know ij likely would be an example from from a recent class whatever um there there's been guys like that so Payne durham is just one where the athletic profile with the position he has to play that's where it, it starts to become a little bit riskier for me. That's why I had to drop him down to 12. But like I said, I really like his receiving utility. I comped him to – he was another tough one for me. I ended up settling on Gavin Escobar for for Payne Durham.
1: I like that. I, I I referred to him as the big donkey down there at the senior bowl. Um <laughs> I, I compared him to Gary Barnage uh, okay, yeah. from, from a minute ago. Massive yeah. hands, good ball catcher, consistent in the red zone. I thought I do like Payne Durham as one of those deep guys. Two guys I was looking forward to having this conversation about were Daniel Barker from Michigan State mm. and Leonard Taylor from Cincinnati, but their athleticism. Well, Taylor's kind of injured right now, and Barker really didn't test as, as good as I wanted him to, um, but those are two guys I was interested in and two guys I'm probably going to track over the next little bit, um, but there's and one I mean, guy uh, that we...
0: I was just going to say, I, I like your call on, on Barker. As as far as, like, I was surprised he didn't end up getting invited to the yeah. combine, and he's another circumstance guy where you have to keep it in mind where earlier in his career, he was at Illinois. He was not a fit on Brett Bielema's Biel teams because he just wants the third offensive tackle. Luke Ford, hey, have you watched Luke Ford from Illinois? Just the enormous uh, tight end who's only can block. I think he's 280 pounds, but Luke Ford doesn't receive. He's, but he's one of the better blocking tight ends in this class. But like, you know, like that's the kind of guy that Bielem uses in that system because, you know, it's like the Wisconsin, the, the downhill running, whatever. Barker just wasn't a fit there. He goes to Michigan State. Well, Peyton thorn was in the tank all last mm-hmm. year. As people who have watched Jaden Reed's tape know. So like, but, but he has the receiving utility. You know, we'll, we'll just see if he can overcome the athleticism, but I like that call.
1: There's one guy we haven't talked about. I know you got the Iowa hat on, so I'm going to give you uh, – I want I want one sentence or one word to define who Sam Laporta is because you have him as tight end three. My one word or one sentence would be yak.com. Oh. I, compared him to Trey, I compared him to Trey McBride, and I currently have him a little bit lower than you at tight end five. But can you tell the people in a sentence or a word or however much you want to tell them why Sam Laporta is – potentially the the next dude that does hit in this tight end class.
0: I, I like yours. So I'll steal it. I'll, I'll, I'll modify mine to yeah. God, uh, you know, 20 <laughs> broken missed tackles last year. That was the fifth highest in the PFF uh, charting era over nine years for an individual tight end in, 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 the college football season with Laporta. It's, it's the suddenness and the agility in conjunction with the strength that really jumps out. He moves like a, a banshee on the field, you know, both in terms of the in and out of the route break, stuff like that, But then when he has the ball in his hands, he's very sudden in in those Mm -hmm. tight quarters. But he also brings the hammer when he's running downfield. So he becomes like this bull in a china shop that also has maneuverability. Um, And you see him, you know, some of these times at Iowa, he was like, I I remember the Minnesota, Cody, I think we had talked that that day when I went to the Minnesota, Iowa game that at the lowest point total in college football history. Sam Laporta in the first half Iowa's offense was actually moving just because Sam Laporta was doing everything and it, there was this one he caught it and then he's pirouetting down the field he has the great vision and the great agility you don't see other tight ends that are like you know trying to be B. John Robinson sometimes with, the, with that <laughs> you know not all the way but you know he brings the strength of that too but then he ends up getting hurt in that game that there was really no scoring after that whatever but I I, I would say that and I, the, the the ball skills and then the, the first down efficiency monster kind of guy I think it was two thirds of his catches the last two years went for either a first down or a touchdown and if you know how ranted the offensive environment was in that he was coming from Iowa finished 130th out of 131 FBS teams last year in scoring I think they only had 18 offensive touchdowns there was four players in the FBS that had more than that then then you start to appreciate more what Laporta is I, I just got lucky because I got to watch him uh, during his career but as far as the intermediate guy who is just going to dominate and yak whenever he gets the ball that's the guy that you want I compare him to I thought a lot about this one with him because I I didn't love some of the comps I was seeing out there and I finally got it last month I think I have the perfect Sam Laporta comp he's Owen Daniels think back to what you got from Owen Daniels it it is almost one to one as far as what you're getting with Laporta and the athletic profile is super similar I think he's going to have an Owen Daniels type career and I rank him tight end three for that reason
1: Ooh, that's some heat right there, baby. I love that. Thank you, Thor. I really appreciate you taking the time today. This is a hectic-ass season. I know you've been on a lot of shows. You get to sit down and chop it up. Uh, let the people know what you have cooking over the next few weeks and where they can find you before the draft.
0: I always love talking prospects with you, man. Anytime, anywhere. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Thorku, and you can find our draft stuff on fantasy pros. Uh, we, we have a full draft kit on, on fantasy pros. It's totally free mock drafts, the scouting reports, the, the, the you know, the whole gamut, everything you guys like So check that out. And like Cody was mentioning before my Thor 500, the 500 player big bar to 500 comps will be added to that in about two weeks here. So we're getting there, Cody.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. Like I said before, his rankings for the tight end position are in the descriptions below. The Player Profiler Rookie Guide will be out in about an hour or two. Go check out all of Thor's goodness on Twitter and on Fantasy Pros at Thorku, T-H-O-R-K-U, on Twitter. Until next week, we'll be back. Click that like, click that subscribe, and stay tapped the fuck in.